Hello, and welcome to the Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Okay, everyone, today's episode is one I am truly excited about because I got a chance to interview Mark Hampton. For those of you who don't know, Mark is probably the most accomplished and prolific living handgun hunter in terms of number of species pursued and places that he's hunted. Last I heard, Mark has chased over 200 species on every continent except Antarctica. And on top of that, you talk about somebody who wrote the book on something. Well, Mark wrote three. One called Handgun Hunting, How to Travel the World in Pursuit of Wild Game, which is a book that has been greatly influential in my life and my career in handgun hunting. He also wrote Addicted to Altitude, Confessions of a Mountain Hunter, which is a chronicling of his adventures in high places. And he's also responsible for Handguns in Wild Places, which is a collection of photographs of various species taken with handguns. Fantastic books. I recommend you read them and collect them. They are just really good information on our wonderful sport. On top of that, Mark is responsible for the handgun hunting column in American Handgunner. He is also a regular contributor to Guns Magazine. He's written for Sports Afield, Sporting Classics, Safari Magazine, and various other websites, blogs, etc. His work is just fantastic and informational. And on top of all of that, he is such a gentleman. He comes at it with humility and just a desire to help further our sport. He is always friendly, always willing to help, always sharing fantastic advice from a place of experience and deep knowledge about our sport. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Here is my interview with Mark Hampton. Okay, Mark, I want to, the first thing that I want to hear from you, I've, I've read all your books. I'm, I have to admit I'm a bit of a fan, but what I don't know is kind of where you started, where the spark for handgun hunting started. I know you came up in Missouri and, um, hunting was a part of your life, but specifically what kind of drew you down the path to hunting with a short gun? You know, um, as a kid, my dad had a Ruger single six and, I would use it every once in a while whenever we did some trapping. I didn't do a lot of trapping, but whenever we did some trapping, I used that Ruger single six. And um, I think it was something different. And the handgun seemed to be the the, the medium, the, the compromise between a rifle and the bow. And I think that's what stuck with me. It, it The bow hunting just didn't fit my personality or my DNA, but for whatever reason, the handgun did. And again, it was... It was the go between a rifle and, and archery. Yeah, I'm. I feel similarly. It's just we just like handguns. I'm the same way. I tried bow hunting. I wasn't great at it, and I just always thought handguns were so cool. I think this is probably an objective fact. You are probably the most successful and prolific handgun hunter alive today, based on the fact that you made that just one of your life's priorities and set goals to uh, be able to accomplish different. Uh, hunts around the world 
and uh, you've, you've written books on it, et cetera. Can you tell me, I mean, I know it's probably going to be hard to nail down after dozens of safaris and however many species you've chased, a couple of your most memorable or favorite hunts that you've been on? Well, that's... Um, I know, tough question. Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it is, and, and I'm going to go a long way around, and, and please don't misinterpret any of this because no. I want to be right up front and say that I've been I've been blessed and I'm I'm truly thankful for, for the experiences I have. By and large, it seems to me like the more difficult, uh, the more challenging uh, a, an animal is to hunt, it's more rewarding. So the, the more difficult species that I've hunted have seemed to be the most rewarding. And, and I want to tell you some of those difficult hunts I've taken 30 species of cap, capra species, and the capra species are the wild goats of the world. Mm-hmm. They include all the ibex, uh, all the different chamois, the tar, the tur, the mountain goat, and, and these all these capra species, these wild goats, they live in extremely difficult terrain, and uh, I just I just love hunting them and. And to pick one, it would be really difficult. And that, and it segues right into these difficult hunts, um, the sheep hunts. You know, whether it's a doll sheep hunt in Alaska or a, a Marco Polo in Tajikistan, some of those sheep hunts are, are really, really tough. And um, I've really enjoyed them. And which, <laughs> it leads me right into Africa. I know everybody talks about the big five, and, and I've, I've, I've been blessed to, to hunt the big five with the hippo and the croc and and they've all been challenging but i got to tell you the lord derby elan the bongo and the mountain yala uh, have all been such memorable hunts uh, with great great experiences and I, I cherish each and every one of them but as far as to pick out one or two you know i hunted nepal which is probably the greatest mountain hunting adventure that i've experienced uh the foothills of the himalayans or uh, blue sheep and Himalayan tar. You know, it was 14 days, and it was nothing but boots, and it's very difficult hunting. Uh, that was one of my greatest mountain hunting uh, adventures. Then a couple of years ago, I got to hunt mountain Yala, and they were at 9,000 feet, and that's probably one of the most memorable hunts that I've had in Africa. And having said that, I really, really, really enjoyed hunting the rainforest rainforest you and i call it the jungle but the others call it the rainforest in cameroon and for these really difficult species to take like a dwarf forest buffalo and a giant forest hog or the bongo and some of those species that only reside in the rainforest those were all uh just wonderful experiences that i that i truly appreciate and i've I've really enjoyed so to nail down one or two that's a long way around I'd hate to have to nail down one or two, but Nepal's probably the greatest mountain hunting adventure uh, for blue sheep and Himalayan tar. And uh, I don't know, it'd have to be a toss-up between the rainforest and hunting mountain in Yala in Ethiopia. Do you have a background as an athlete? Uh, I played I played baseball and basketball, and I played baseball in college. And, um, you know, some of, hunting some of these animals have really been a carrot to keep me, to try to keep myself in shape. I'm about to turn 67 years old, and uh, I was just on the elliptical this morning, uh, but I just, I try to keep myself halfway in shape because whenever you start hunting some of these mountain hunts and hunting difficult animals, I've got 
I, you know, I've, I've got to be halfway decent physically or I'm not going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, I imagine so. And I would probably say more than halfway decent compared to a lot of us who are probably not halfway decent in the physical fitness department. But, you know, they say staying fit is the best health insurance you can get, right? And it's free. <laughs> uh, well, I, right. yeah, that's, that's cool. And I think one of the things that I love about handgun hunting is that it provided me an opportunity to both exercise my physical body, exercise my mind as far as, you know, mm. the aspects of becoming better at using the implements that we do to hunt with and outsmarting game in the woods, et cetera, et cetera. And my spirit, uh, just being out in God's nature is pretty incredible. So that kind of, this word is overused now, but that kind of holistic approach to health that I have found through the pursuit of handgun hunting, that's kind of what I hear you saying about you're overcoming the challenge, but also staying physically fit and then having that overwhelming sense of gratitude for the experiences you've had. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. That's a good point, Ryan. You know, I've seen some of these uh, folks on these mountain hunts, just for example, and I don't want to chase a rabbit here, but I've seen people who, men who are physically strong, I mean physically strong, not be able to cut it on some of the mountain hunts because they were not mentally strong. Mm. On the other hand, I've seen some women who were not near as physically strong as some of these men, but were just mentally tough, and they could just grind it out. So not only is, is it our physical aspect, but it's uh, the, the mental toughness as well on some of these very difficult hunts. Yeah, that's a, an excellent, an excellent point. Okay, so I know you have, I don't know if you've filled all of your, uh, ch checked all your boxes yet, but if I were going to tell you that, okay, Mark, you're only limited to hunting one more species for the rest of your life, but you can do it as much as you want, what species would you want? That's another good question, Ryan. You know, I like hunting white-tailed deer. Mm. And let, let me, that comes with a caveat. I like hunting mature bucks. Yeah. I think they're probably the most craftiest, most uh, difficult, uh, a mature white-tailed buck, at least in our country. I live in southern Missouri. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of hardwood uh, timber. You know, we don't have a lot of open ground in some places. And, you know, taking a, a white-tailed, a good white-tailed mature buck is, uh, I think I'd probably hunt white-tailed deer the rest of my life and not be too, uh, not be too angry at the world. That is, that is high praise for the whitetail buck, you know. Uh, just, they're just a, they're just a wonderful creature, as you well know, Ryan. They're yeah. just a, they're a magnificent creature, and a free-range, mature whitetail buck is not easy to take. Uh, at least it's not easy to take in my neck of the woods. Do you do, how do you hunt mostly in your neck of the woods? Is it spot and stalk, or do you like to set up somewhere, or do you all use feeders, or how do you like to do it? That's a good point. You know, when I was growing up as a young man, my, my dad had a, we still had the deer hunting camp. And, uh, but back in those days, we could hunt just about anywhere. I mean, access to hunting land was not even an issue. Mm -hmm. And we had a large camp. We made a lot of deer drives and oh. that's how we hunted early on. Mm -hmm. But the last 30 years as, uh, access become more difficult. Now we just hunt on our family farm. For the past probably 25, 30 years, we hunt out of blinds. Mm -hmm. in, in the Midwest, in the Midwest here, especially in, in my area, mm -hmm. um, spot and stalk, I'm not saying you can't do it, Ryan, but the odds you're going to spook 
way more deer than you're ever going to get a decent shot at. So most of the deer hunting in this area is out of uh, hunting on a stand, out of either a ladder stand or a blind, and that's basically how, how we hunt today. Yeah, for, for us as well in Texas, this <laughs> I've kind of come full circle on this. My first handgun only season, my buddy and I decided that, you know, we were not going to hunt from blinds. We were going to stalk around in uh, the hill country of Texas, which I, I know you're familiar with that country. Lots of cactus, lots of rocks, lots of dry leaves, uh, lots of dry everything, right. actually. <laughs> I don't think we, we right. are short on rain for a long time. And yeah, we were blundering. We found it was just funny, you know, sometimes, but I found it so rewarding that um, I started kind of saying, you know, denigrating the the hunting, you know, traditionally from where I am, it's out of a blind near a corn feeder. And I started kind of denigrating that and being like, man, I'm, I'm always going to be a spot and stock hunter or whatever. Uh, but the truth is I've kind of gotten back to blind hunting one was because I started taking my kids hunting and it's much, I want them to get the experience. I also think blinds are better for new shooters, but what I was going to say, you know, you talk about crafty bucks, it blind hunting is not a gimme and it is not easy. Uh, a lot of, a lot of times non hunters have the misperception or other hunters that like West Western hunters or whatever have the misperception that we just sit there and the deer, you know, we'd basically blow a whistle and, and, hundred deer run in and we get to choose the one that we want to shoot. But that's not true. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, that's not, that, that is, that's, that's, not, that's misconception. That is not true at all. Right. Do you know how hard it is for a modern man to sit still for an hour? I understand. <laughs> uh, I understand. And, and again, I, I'm not knocking spot to spot because right. out, in, out in the Western States, that's probably how I do it. But in, in my area, if you start, just sneaking through the woods trying to kill a deer it's going to be a long season you're going to you're going to spook a lot more deer than you even think about getting a decent shot at oh yeah and you won't even see them my, my broader point is that there's kind of room for all different kinds of hunting absolutely yeah and you know whenever, whenever you're in rome you do as a roman so yes, whatever works and you know whatever works for me may may or may not work for somebody else in a, an adjacent state right and the mature whitetail buck going back to your point about being crafty it is almost like when bucks reach a certain age they become a different species <laughs> boy that's the truth that's Be a good point because i i have gotten to within 20 yards of like a young forky you know because mm. he's just kind of an idiot <laughs> but right but those right. that and that is one of the reasons that it is so rewarding when you're able to take a mature buck like you're talking about absolutely so handgun hunters, a lot of us are really into our gear, and that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the things that defines us. What have been some of your favorite handguns you've used over the year? And if you had to give them all up except one, which one would you keep? Mm. You know, again, I'm kind of all over the map on on this one, and, and a lot of it, a, a whole lot of it, depends on what species I'm hunting. You know, because the gun I t would take for an ibex hunt or to Nepal to hunt blue sheep and Himalayan tar is going to be a totally different gun than I would take, say, on a black bear hunt if I'm hunting uh, in southeast Alaska or even by running by hounds or over bait. So I'd be a totally different gun. So a lot of it depends on, on, on what I'm hunting. But, um, again, I've been all over the map. Here recently I've, I've been doing some hunting with uh, Freedom Arms revolvers, which I, I really love them. 
you know, before the HS Precision discontinued their bolt action pistol, that's a, that was a really, really a wonderful handgun. It's super accurate. Uh, I, I did some a lot, quite a bit of hunting with HS Precision. Now that Nosler has picked up with her uh, with her uh, iteration of the uh, bolt action handgun, that's that thing shoots really good and it's available today. I really enjoy shooting it. Of course, everybody has seemed to be build, rebuilding some XP100s or having some custom builds from XP100s. But, Ryan, I've done a lot of hunting with contenders and encores when they become available. Mm-hmm. So I think if I had to choose one gun that I had to hunt with the rest of my life uh, and you didn't tell me what I was going to be hunting, uh, it would probably be an encore because I just, uh, I've just shot it. I've just shot it a lot. I'm very comfortable with it. And, uh, but again, it, it, so much of it would depend on the species sure. of hunting or the terrain I'm hunting on. But I've, I've shot a lot of uh, TC contenders and encores over the years. And I've just got a lot of confidence in that platform. Reading through all of the old six gunners, you know, I'm in the process of the massive project of digitizing all of the old six gunners, reading your articles from back then, a lot of you were um, a big JDJ caliber fan, especially the 6.5 and the 375. And I even saw some Absolutely. work you did with the 309. So, I, but that's a, you know, that's a, that's a good, oh man, such a solid platform. I hope that we're not, we haven't seen the end of those. No, that's, uh, you know, JD is a friend of mine and uh, the 6.5, the 6.5 has been such a successful cartridge for a lot of handgun hunters. And then, you know, moving on up the ladder to, to bigger game uh, or dangerous game, the 375 JDJ is just, it's just been a solid performer. And many, many, many handgun hunters have uh, been successful with that 375 JDJ. Yeah. You know, another thing about our sport is I always tell people, you know, if you want to be the guy who has one handgun for every single situation you might encounter, you can do that. Yeah. But also... Yeah. Some some of the old, you know, beware the man with one gun adage comes in. Um, yeah. uh, one of the ju- guys you went to Africa with, Mike Mendez, he right. doesn't he doesn't only hunt with one gun, but he's got a four fifty four, and that's pretty much all he hunts with now. I mean, he likes to experiment a little bit, and that can be, lo- I mean, 90, 95% of your hunting can be taken care of with that, and that's just one of the cool things about it is all the variety that's available to us. And, you know, you made a good point. I, I got to tell you, when I was... Uh, a young man, I had a 6.5 JDJ, couldn't afford anything else, and I got really familiar with that gun. And, you know, I shot a, back in the day, it was a 125-grain nozzler, solid base, and I shot it so much, I knew, you know, I, I knew the trajectory, and I knew where the bullet was going to hit at different yardages, and there's a lot of uh, truth behind beware of the guy with one gun, because I was probably a lot more proficient with that gun back in those days when that's the only gun I had than I have today. I've got, I've got several, you know, I, I write about several different guns and reviewed different guns and I'm all over the map with some of them. And, uh, uh, it's a lot more simpler to have one gun and know exactly how it shoots and be familiar with it. Yeah. Very true. Very true. And then you, I mean, confidence equals magic as far as I'm concerned. And I've had that back when I used to be a, a heretic and hunted with rifles. You know, I had a gun that was like, I couldn't miss with it. Been yeah. been looking for that in my handgun career now. I just I just set up a 730 Waters contender and uh, I think that's going to be it cuz I've been doing pretty well with that and I just have been really enjoying that caliber. 
you know, that's great. And, and I've got a deer hunting buddy of mine that shoots that uh, caliber and has for years, and mm-hmm. he's probably killed as many deer in deer camp as anybody else mm-hmm. with a 7 by 30 contender. Yeah, that's a good one. So staying on the topic of guns real quick, is there any holy grail handgun, either something owned by a famous person, something built by a custom builder who's well-known, something rare that you ha- that you've you know would be like man if if i could get that gun that would be amazing mm. you know i think a lot of that boils down just to personal preference oh sure because, yeah, yeah. You know, there, there are some in our in our handgun hunting fraternity that like revolvers mm. and for me for, for me personally the freedom arms model 83 is is my holy grail of revolvers oh, good. for hunting but um i you know i've, I've been fortunate to test and, and shoot a lot of different handguns. Uh, I really like this new Nosler uh, bolt action pistol they've got. It shoots so, so, so good. And I'm, I'm, I've been shooting it quite a bit and I'm used to it and uh, it really shoots good. But my, my, having said that, if I had to go to Africa and, and hunt dangerous game, I would take an Encore mm-hmm. that the late Ken French built uh, out of the uh, Fox Ridge custom shop oh, in yeah. 375 JDJ. That's a cool one. That's a good answer, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, that's that's pretty good, Mark. You got at least two of your holy grail guns already. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing it. You're doing it, man. <laughs> so well, you know the clock ticking, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's true for all of us. And I tell you what, you know, <laughs> having met you and interacted with you and you've been all your help and advice with HHI from restarting that, I mean, what a good what a fulfilled life you have had you know it's like not to get too philosophical but from my perspective you should be able to look back at your life with extreme satisfaction well uh, i appreciate that and i and again i'm i'm not only uh, humbled but i've i've been blessed and I've, i'll say that right up front of I've, I've been truly blessed one thing uh, i i wanted to ask you about that i've been thinking about since your lovely wife, Karen, that I got to meet at handgun hunters competition in 2021. She, uh, she is like your sidekick. She is. Yeah, and, she is. She goes on most of the hunts with mm-hmm. me. She goes, she goes and I'm, I'm really, uh, uh, again, I'm really blessed to have her to be by my side because she gets to experience the, the great outdoors just uh, along with us. And it's, it's great time. Uh, family is quality time spent with our, mm-hmm. uh, with ourselves. And uh, we, we truly enjoy it as a couple. That's so great. And, and now is she much of a, does she like to pull the trigger herself or does she prefer just to accompany an experience? She does the, the pulling of the trigger once in a while, but she's, you know, she's pretty content with just going along and seeing the scenery and being part of the experience. But she does pull the trigger once in a while. That's so great, especially for those of us, you know, as a younger guy with a family of five, wanting to include my family into it. That's a good, you you guys are a great example of the right way to do it, where you can get enjoyment as a couple or as a family out of your experiences. So you've been doing this a while, obviously. Can you tell me some of the biggest advancements you've seen in handgun hunting, whether or not it's the technology of ammo or guns or gear or optics or methods or any of that stuff, what are some of the biggest advancements that you've recognized? It's a good question. As far as hunting is concerned, I'd say over the last couple of decades, trail cameras have probably influenced hunting. And I know it's not handgun hunting specific, but trail cameras have had a huge impact on hunting and handgun hunters do take advantage of that. But as far as handgun hunting specific, 
you know, when I started out in the, in the early 70s, there wasn't a lot of choice on optics. So optics have, have really come a long way. But uh, unfortunately, handgun optics, even today, pale in comparison to rifle optics with the features and the options that the rifle scopes have versus the handgun scopes. And it seems like we're, we're lagging behind, as you and I have had this conversation before, on optics. But the big advan- uh, some of the big advancements is the technology in bullets and ammunition. Yeah. Um, boy, it's just, uh, you know, the, the bullets today, there's just so many good, good premium bullets. Uh, and the ammunition, uh, the factory ammunition today, while you know some of it's get, getting more expensive, obviously, in the past couple of three years, but the factory ammo is extremely accurate compared to the, what it was 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know you, you've got the guns. Uh, the technology on the guns have have really um, come a long ways as far as you know these these folks can make an accurate gun today, and, and it doesn't cost near as much as a custom gun did 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know the the optics thing. I I did a survey of our of everybody that I can get, get a hold of about what is the number one thing you'd like to see the industry produce for handgun hunters. And optics has been far and away the most common answer of what people what handgun hunters want yeah. to see. Um, Absolutely. Hopefully, we'll see some light at the end of that tunnel. If we the more and the more we talk about it, right? Yes, sir. And that's interesting about the bullets. You know, um, when you started, I don't think monolithic bullets were a thing. That's correct. Um, and that was th- that seems to be all the rage right now. Although, is this new technology, the monolithic bullets, going to be the wave of the future? Or we have so many bullets that have been around since I mean forever that are still doing doing good work in the field because they've been proven and they work over and over again. Right. Yeah. That's that's true. That's just you know it's, I don't, it's one of those trends that we just don't know where that's going to go, but. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, there's just a lot of advancements in, in bullet technology in it that just seems to be ever involving, uh, e- evolving. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that's any advancements or anybody thinking about that is good for our, for our cause, for sure. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. That's the technology side of it. But as far as in your, your experience of the sport, I, from my perspective, you know, I'm 25 years younger than you or something. And so I didn't get into guns as a profession uh, until the early 2000s. And that was kind of where the, it seemed like the interest was starting to peter out um, from the heyday of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Please correct me if I'm wrong about any of this. And then maybe I've kind of seen it starting to pick up a little bit, but it seems to me that handgun hunting as a sport kind of has a natural ebb and flow to it. How do you see that across the history of handgun hunting and where do you think we are today and what factors do you think influence that? Hmm, that that's a good one. You know, human nature is, is often hard to, hard to predict. I think, I think exposure. And when I say exposure, you know, um, Ford trucks, I don't think Ford trucks needs to advertise. I don't think McDonald's <laughs> needs to advertise. Right. But, you know, I see them advertising a lot. And handgun hunting, if we're going to promote handgun hunting, I think there has to be exposure. You know, um, the six-gunner was a great source, uh, a great resource for many of us back in the, back in the 70s and, and, and 80s. And it was it was kind of uh, well we couldn't wait to get that yellow paper mm-hmm. bi-monthly. Um, so I think exposure, whether you're selling cheeseburgers or vehicles, 
of promoting handgun hunting, I think there has to be exposure, whether it's through the six gunner or on social media platforms or, you know, today we don't get a lot of handgun hunting articles mm-hmm. in, in magazines. Mm-hmm. And you and I both know that the handgun hunters pale in comparison to bow hunting. Mm-hmm. Now I know there, bow hunting has a lot of um, that's a lot of advantages because of the lengthy seasons. You know, right. in Missouri mm-hmm. we start September the fifteenth and run till January the fifteenth. My mm-hmm. lands they got four months to hunt. Yeah. But every time you turn on the television, you can't watch many outdoor programs without seeing bow and arrow on there somewhere. Uh-huh. They're hunting. They're hunting white-tailed deer with a. But seldom do you ever see a handgun on there, as far as handgun hunting. So I think exposure has some some uh, measurable uh, cause and effect for this this trends. And you know when you say trends, um, the shooting public is is a trendy bunch anyway. At, at one time, I thought right. the ten millimeter was dead and gone, <laughs> and all of a sudden, uh, I see an uprising of of ten millimeter. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, at one time a few years ago, I thought the lever action was just kind of it was just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today, the last couple of three years, I've seen an uptick in lever action. Mm-hmm. Um, so in handgun hunting, I don't know where it fits in there, but not only is, is there some exposure, I think that's part of it, but there's access and opportunity. Yeah, You have to have access, whether it's a cheeseburger or a truck or handgun hunting, you got to have access and you got to have opportunity. Right. So, there, there's some other factors that that are involved with the ebb and flow, as you've mentioned, uh, with trends on handgun hunting, and um, you know there's just a lot of there's a lot of moving parts into this puzzle. Right. Um, yeah, I think you know you're talking about the six gunner, obviously fantastic, fantastic repository of information about our sport, but now we're also competing for people's attention on a much broader scale, you know, like that was the hand, the six gunner back in the day, that was it, you know, now you have countless forums and groups on Facebook and et cetera, et cetera. And nobody's vetting the information, which I'm okay with like a more democratic style of getting information out there. But it does mean that you have to do more work about what people say, you know, on the internet is true. Whereas the six gunner was usually by, you know, not necessarily experts, but experienced amateurs. And, uh, so that's basically, it's a lot noisier space right now that we have to be able to get through. That is, that's a, that's a great point. And you're, you're spot on because there's just a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of information out there, especially on the internet. Uh, as you mentioned, social platform, Mm -hmm. social media platforms are all over the map with this kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, I see a lot of authorities on the subject where I know that, that they may not be as much of authority as, as, uh, but, but you're, you're right on with right. the six gunner. Those, those articles were written by people who've been there and done that and they were sharing their experience. And I felt that was invaluable. Which is why now with the new six gunner, the digital magazine that HHI puts out, now it is, you have to be a member of HHI to write for it, not to read it. Because I wanted yeah. that kind of valuable, uh, authentic experience type writing of people who have actually done it. And I'm not talking about experts because you can learn a lot from novices and other novices can learn from other novices journeys. 
Um, well, I think that's a good approach that you've taken with the, with the, with the six gunner. Well, thanks. That means a lot. The speaking of, you know, the, the glut of information that's out there, what are some of the things that you hear from other handgun hunters or just people in general or the, the shooting public? It doesn't have to be just like anybody who would speak about this different advice or thoughts or myths, you know, or legends rather that are true in the field and what are some that you hear commonly that in your experience don't bear out in the field? You know, um, my dad, I was fortunate. My, my dad was a serious hunter and a serious fisherman. When you say advice or my, my dad was a diehard. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I, I saw, he didn't say it, but I saw it, uh, his persistence. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was a hard hunter. I mean, we would be out there before daylight, uh, we'd hunt till dark in the same way as fishing. We'd be on the water before daylight, and uh, our last cast would be almost when it was too dark to see where your plug hit. Mm. Uh, so my dad, my dad was very persistent, and that's what I, I feel that is true in the field for me that I, I needed to be persistent. Uh, you mentioned something about what's not true. You know, I've always heard trust your guide, uh, and I would say. 98% of the time, that's probably true. To mm-hmm. trust your guide, especially if you're hunting an animal you haven't hunted before mm-hmm. or an area that you haven't been in before. I think trust your guide is, is pretty good advice. However, I've been on some occasions where um, I was on the Zambezi River. It's a, it's a very fast-flowing river full of crocs and hippos, and we were hunting hippos. And we were having a hard time finding hippos when we did find one. The guide got out. It was fairly shallow water. He held the boat, and he expected me to get a rest off of the boat and shoot a hippo in the brain at 175 yards oh. with a 375 JDJ. Mm-mm. Now, that's the point where you don't trust your guide. Right. Um, so that's just one example. I had another professional hunter. Uh, uh, I was 100, 130 yards from the Cape Buffalo facing me which I hate that front end, that uh, frontal shot um, with a revolver. uh, And he wanted me to take that shot at 130 yards, shooting off of a stick. So there are times when trust your guide is not necessarily the most sound advice, but I would say the majority of the time it is. And also trust the limitations you've placed on yourself, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, lastly, I kind of want to get into the idea about new hunters these days, because hunting has vastly changed since you started. You know, it's gotten so much more expensive, almost by orders of magnitude, it seems. Access has decreased severely, not only for places to hunt, but shooting ranges. You know, I ran a, a custom gun building shop for 15 years, and the number one question I got asked was, where can I go shoot? Because we don't have any place around here. A lot of the handguns that are, you know, most popular for our sport, contenders, encores, you know, even some of the more esoteric ones from back in the day, like the the Dominator, the Automags, the Wildy, the, you know, some of those ones that, you know, weren't necessarily mainstream, but were showing that the industry was paying attention. Those aren't, those aren't really available anymore or, or definitely out of the price range. So if you... Right. If you today were Mark Hampton in your 20s and you got the bug like you got when you were in your 20s, what route would you pursue to become, to kind of fulfill yourself through handgun hunting like you have? That's a good, good question. 
you know, um, knowing what I do now, now, uh, the first thing I would do is to buy a 22 pistol. Amen. And whether it be a, a Browning Buckmark or a, a Ruger Mark V or a, a revolver, I would buy a 22 rimfire, and I would buy as much 22 am, ammo as I could possibly afford, and I'd go out and learn how to shoot that gun. And when I say I'm not talking about a box of shells, or I'm not even talking about a carton. I'm talking about buying a lot of ammo mm-hmm. and learning how to shoot that 22 rimfire. Then... After I've shot probably 5,000 rounds of it, uh, that's a case, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would I would probably start looking at a 357 Magnum or a 44 Magnum. There's a lot of folks that go into a gun store, and because Joe down the street's got a 454 Casual, they think they've got to have one, and boy, that gets them off on the wrong foot. It's just it's just not the right way to go. And along with that 22 rimfire, I think so many people today dismiss and overlook small game hunting rabbits and squirrels i started out hunting squirrels and because i live in a very rural area in missouri and we've got we've got squirrels and rabbits and i think a lot of people are missing out on hunting small game with the 22 rimfire i think it's a, a quality it's a chance to spend quality time in the outdoors you certainly get familiar with uh, handgun hunting because you're going to be shooting at all different types of of uh, angles and and different types of uh, scenarios, and small game hunting today is, has been overlooked by a lot of folks, and that's unfortunate. And uh, after I after I got my my feet wet on, in the small game, if I'm just starting out, uh, I, I'd look at probably uh, preserve hunting. I know a lot of people uh, have some aversion, and hunting behind the fence gives some people a heartburn. But a preserve, uh, like a hog hunt, is a good place to get experience. And uh, I'd probably look at that. And there's other uh, inexpensive things. I I'd, I used to put in uh, for antelope, still do. But early on when I didn't have any money in my pocket, I'd, I'd put in for the draw for antelope and look for a public land to hunt, uh, hunt antelope on. And, and I'd also knock on doors and ask permission to hunt, whether it be antelope or whitetail. But that's how I'd start out. I'd get a 22 rimfire pistol. I'd learn to shoot it. I'd hunt as much small game as I possibly could. And then I would just ease into uh, maybe a hog hunt to get some experience and, and try to draw an antelope tag or or knock knock on doors and get permission to hunt white-tailed deer someplace. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, especially about the handgun hunting squirrels. The my And where I live, the squirrel season is September 1st to October, or excuse me, September 1st through August 31st. <laughs> so yeah. all the yeah. time. Another yeah. thing that I wanted to mention, just because I have such a heart for squirrel hunting is not only are squirrels delicious, but it's a great way to expose kids to hunting um, mm. because you 100%. don't, yeah, you don't have to be quiet necessarily at, or as quiet. Kids are also great. And especially for me, kids are also great uh, at finding them. You know, their, their young eyes are usually like, there's one. My kids especially. They got good eyes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oh, that's that's a good point. So where do you think some of the, you know, I, I have found in, in the handgun hunt and HHI membership, like there are kind of a division between us of guys that are more in your um, category that have done, that have so much experience and have kind of said, you know, I have met so many of my goals, handgun hunting. That's great. Um, and then there are guys in my kind of experience, you know, young families. That's like, I can't, 
you know, a $5,000 hunt might as well be a $50,000 hunt because, you know, we just have so many obligations. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you can't save, you know, make goals and save, et cetera, et cetera. But where, where do you think the best economic opportunities, you know, for, uh, economy opportunities, I should say, for us guys that are looking just to get experience is, is it public land? Is it, I mean, cause then you deal with success rate stuff. Is it, you know, tagging along with more experienced guys? Is it just a buddy network? Is it, you know, finding, cause it's gotten in my neck of the woods. If someone's like, yeah, you can come hunt a, a pig for 500 bucks. It's hard for me not to remember a few years ago when ranchers were like, please come shoot as many pigs as you want for free. Um, right. So anyway, that, that what do you think is the best, the best opportunity for, for us younger guys on tight budgets to pursue? Sure. You know, you mentioned a good, a good point. If you could find a hunting partner that's got some experience and willing to share that experience with you, um, tag along with somebody. But again, Back in the day, I was putting in a draw for antelope, for example, uh, in Wyoming. And back in those days, you could draw an antelope tag pretty easy. Today, it takes, depending on what unit you're looking at, it may take several points. Mm -hmm. But I'd look at a a draw for antelope on public land. Um, You know, I know Texas is a different different beast because there's a lot of uh, private property. But I'd be knocking on doors, uh, asking permission to hunt. Um, we're fortunate here in Missouri. We've got some public land to hunt on. Um, but again, to gain experience, and that's, that's what you're talking about, to gain experience, uh, going on a hog hunt behind, you know, behind a fence in a preserve is not a bad way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it doesn't cost, you know, it's not a $5,000 hunt. Right. Those are some of the things that, that, that I would look, look to do. And, uh, you know, back to the small game hunting, somebody that doesn't, allow you to hunt deer or turkey on their farm certainly might allow you to hunt small game on your farm on right. your farm. So uh, the small game, I, I'm reverting back to that, but that's, that's something that's um, should not be dismissed by a lot of handgun hunters because you get to spend quality time and get familiar with your uh, all aspects of handgun hunting through small game hunting. But those other knocking on doors to, to, to get permission drawing an antelope tag on public property in, in Wyoming or one of those states um, and, and doing a hog hunt on a, on a preserve or a ranch is not a bad way to go. That's great advice. Okay, Mark, wrapping it up, um, uh, you, are a, you are still in the writing game. Can you tell people where they can read Mark Hampton's writings? You know, writing's been a I, – I don't do it for a living. I, I do it because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And um, – I enjoy promoting handgun hunting, and I, I like to use different platforms or venues to to do this. I recently had an article in uh, Sports Field, mm-hmm. I think the January issue of Sports Field. Um, I'm going to have some coming out in Sporting Classics, but the main ones I write for is um, Guns Magazine and American Handgunner. Uh, that's the two that uh, I normally write for. I also write for some for Safari Magazine. That's a Safari Club International publication uh, I write for them and most of my stuff you know a good writer a good writer can write about anything he can write about uh, how to sharpen a 
uh, an axe and how to use a spinnerbait and a lot of different things. I just like to write about handgun hunting mm-hmm. or handgun hunting guns. So it, it really limits my uh, my writing, and that's okay because I don't want to write about uh, how to sharpen an axe. I, I wouldn't say it limits your writing at all. I mean, you have three books, <laughs> three published books, plus you write a regular. I don't say I, w- <laughs> I think you're selling yourself short if you say you're limited. But yeah, you so regular column in American Handgunner, the handgun hunting column, you're responsible for that. Uh, sporting classic, sporting uh, sports of field, your SCI articles that come out sometimes. And then I've seen you are you people pick you up on their uh, internet sites as well sometimes. So just a, a Google of Mark Hampton will find it. And I highly recommend people, people read your writing. Well, uh, Mark, well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sitting down and doing this interview with me. You, you are just a gift to the handgun hunting community, somebody who is so experienced, but also humble and willing to share his experiences uh, with everyone. So thank you so much. Well, Ryan, I appreciate uh, appreciate the kind words. I don't know that I'm deserving of it, but I appreciate them nonetheless. And I just want to applaud all your efforts and your your time and dedication into HHI and uh, the Six Gunner. I think that's uh, a welcome addition to the handgun hunting world. And uh, I really appreciate all your efforts in that regard. Great. Thanks again. All right. Have a great day, Ryan. Well, I don't know about you, but I want to be like Mark Hampton when I grow up. Man, what a gentleman. What a great guy. Humble, fantastic person to just share his experiences with us. I can't tell you how much I appreciate him sitting down and doing that interview with me. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. So until the next time, good hunting. This episode is brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. Handgun Hunters International is the premier organization for handgun hunters. We have a cool website where we have a great, well-moderated forum that is friendly to all ages and experience levels. The Six Gunner, which is our bi-monthly digital magazine, is written exclusively by HHI members and is free to the public. We host giveaways of guns, gear, and ammo each month, and every prize is worth several times what membership costs. Help us fulfill our mission of supporting and growing the handgun hunting community by joining today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Please leave us a review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. Thank you all and good hunting.